South by Southwest 2021. What a fun, unforgettable film festival. Uh, yeah, well, but I, I still don't get why we had to fly to Austin for the film festival. It was all virtual. <laughs> yes, John, that is true. But didn't you find the viewing experience to be that much better in the comfort of an Airbnb we shared with nine other broke film critics? I still don't get why I had to be the one to share a roll-off bed with the dude from Indie Firewire. Anyway, soon we'll be back at Cinemaholics headquarters slash your apartment. John, what's wrong? Didn't you have a good time? We had a whole week to take our minds off the pandemic by watching scores of new exciting films that are all about COVID-19. I guess. Um, I don't know. Maybe something else is bothering me. Ugh, what the hell? You okay, Will? No, not really. My chair keeps reclining. And I need to get some sleep after watching Zack Snyder's 14-hour director cut of Legend of the Guardians, The Owls Go Who. Hey, excuse me, can you move your feet so I can lean back my... Oh, great. <laughs> Who is it, Will? Oh, no. Not you. Well, 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 if it isn't Davey Erlenbacher, senior film critic at Indie Firewire. Charmed, boys. Jonathan, how nice to see you. I hope you're a little more comfortable without your nightlight. Why, I oughta... John, don't. He's not worth it. Indeed. I hear you boys are heading back to that hovel you call a podcast studio. How deliciously quaint. Oh, buzz off, Davy. You're not even British. You're just watching Paddington too much. You take that back. You're, you're just Marmaduke meets Heathcliff. Oh, you bastard. I was going to put that on a poster. Come on, Will, let's just go back to watching Home Alone 4, taking back the house on your iPad mini. Yes, you do that. <laughs> I wouldn't dare keep you from your cinemaholics brainstorming process. Well, let me guess, Davy. You're watching a screener for a film that doesn't come out for another three years. Indeed. What's the matter, Jonathan? You seem even more uncomfortable than you were on that rollout. Does it bother you that William Ashton has to fight all your battles? Don't listen to him, John. He's just jealous. No, he's not, Will. Look at him. He even smells like he lives in Brooklyn. <sighs> he's just so intimidating. What with his sparkling wordplay and non-sequitur references to movies I've never even heard of. Tell you what, Jonathan. I'll stop picking on you if you can review a movie right here and now in front of everyone on the plane. John, don't do it. That's too much pressure for one man. I have to, Will. If I don't... Davy's hyperbole will only get stronger. Go ahead, Jonathan. Do a review for Home Alone 4. So this is acting. And what have they done? Another adventure. And a reboot just begun. And so this performance I hope it's now done I want it to finish For the sake of everyone A very hackneyed sequel Without any beer Let's hope we can move on but we won't, I fear. And so this is worthless. Oh, Natalie, jarring. For fans and for young. 
even pacing. All right, all right, stop, stop. That's enough. I get it. You don't understand, Davy. We had a full musical number. We planned this for weeks. Oh, oh, I'm sure. Typical freelance critics always being extra. But as it happens, I already made my critical evaluation before even finishing the entire thing. <gasps> Just like when you watch the newest Marvel movies. Indeed. Good luck with your little podcast, boys. I've had enough silliness for one afternoon. Now, if you'll excuse me, I need to brush up on my audition tape for Paddington the Musical. Welcome once again to Cinemaholics. From the San Francisco Bay Area, I am John Negroni, film critic for Words Watch, Cultured Vultures, The Young Folks in the School. From Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, he's a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend, and he also writes for Cinemaholics.com. It's Will Ashton. Hello, John. Hello. It's been quite a week. We've we've got so much to do in this episode as we're talking South by Southwest uh, 2021. Very excited to cover this festival in earnest. But for now, you can find more episodes of Cinemaholics, including our full archive on Cinemaholics.com. You'll also find our written reviews, other bonus content, our merch page where you can find hoodies and shot glasses, all that fun stuff. It's all on Cinemaholics.com. If you'd like to send us an email, send us some feedback, or just say hello, our email is cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. And of course, we invite you to check out our Patreon if you're interested in supporting our show. Go to patreon.com slash cinemaholics and learn about all the ways you can become one of our patrons. Shout out to everybody who supports the show. We love you more than you probably know. And with that, we have quite an episode ahead of you. So this has been a very busy week in the film world, I think it's fair to say, Will. Yeah, I mean, you're referring to the Snyder Cut, I'm assuming, unless there's something yeah. else that, that I miss. I haven't really kept up with the news too much on account of South by Southwest, but... Well, that's what been, I mean. It's like, yeah. we, we have South by Southwest this week. We also have Zack Snyder's Justice League, which we are doing a review of this week, uh, just not in this episode right now. Hmm. And they also had Falcon and the Winter Soldier premiere, which is not a movie, but obviously tied to like the biggest movie franchise of all time so just kind of looking at what we have to talk about on the show it's 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 a lot yeah i mean i'm pretty exhausted i hope i don't sound too tired but um we just went through i don't know how many films you actually end up seeing at the festival but um, i saw like 19 maybe 20 19 okay i, I saw all together about i want to say like 30 or 31 yeah you saw you saw a lot more than me and and the main reason is because i did not cover the festival as as nearly as like I, I had a lot of other stuff I had to do this week. Yeah, you were and a busy so, man, busy guy, busy guy over here filing um, papers and uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sab- stamping saber clip. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Fortunately, you were able to devote way more time and squeeze in a lot of extra films. I don't think I saw anything that you didn't see, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, I know you didn't finish one of the films. Yeah, I, I, I didn't get a chance. It timed out for, uh, what's it called? Broadcast Signal Intrusion. Yeah. The uh, yeah the Harry Sum Jr. film. Yeah, I, I didn't get a chance to finish that one, unfortunately. But um, I know you saw the one that you weren't crazy about, I think called like Ara or... or oh, yeah, Aria. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That one but, was just... Uh, yeah. yeah. But uh, otherwise, I think you've pretty much seen everything that I've seen. Maybe one yeah. or two exceptions, but... And you obviously, yeah. you saw a lot that I didn't see, <laughs> for sure. Sure. 
but yeah, it's it, it was a good festival overall, I think. And we're going to talk about our favorite films from the festival. We'll bring up, of course, some films we think are worth bringing up, even though they weren't our favorites. Uh, just kind of give a whole kind of encompassing what was South by Southwest this year. I think the main thing to bring up is the fact that it was very different from Sundance virtually in a lot of ways. And, you know, we should actually start with laying that groundwork. So usually South by Southwest it happens every spring. It's never been the typical film festival, possibly partly because it's never just been a film festival. It's also a music festival. It's like an arts and culture hub for a good week in Austin, Texas. But this year, because last year they canceled it due to the pandemic, obviously, this year they looked at it being a little bit bigger, a little bit more ambitious in terms of covering a lot of different things. This festival had not just movies, of course, but it had live concerts, it had a ton of Q&As and sessions and filmmaker panels, and even within just the film festival stuff, I don't know how anybody could have possibly felt like they got the full South by Southwest film experience just in the last few days, because you would have to just be like constantly absorbing tons of festival stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely felt like I was always behind for whatever reason. I don't know if it was just because it was as many days as the uh, last two virtual film festivals I went to, or just because like you said, it, it's kind of overwhelming how much was happening at one time. But yeah, I mean, it, you, I don't know how one could get the full experience unless they just didn't sleep, which maybe somebody did. I don't know. But that was definitely not my experience. Yeah, it was tough. So some of the main differences between this and Sundance, one of them was there was more of like a social networking aspect to this. Like you could get networking requests from people in the industry. And I don't know about you, but like people were reaching out. They were like, hey, check out this short film that we have going on. Please vote for our film. It was very different from Sundance in the sense that like at Sundance, like there was none of that. And I feel like the big difference between the two festivals, and I wonder if it was for you too, is I just feel like there was not a lot of energy with this festival on social media. There was just not a lot of buzz. And I, I don't know if part of it is because the quality of the films weren't as good, you know, overall, like if people just weren't as interested in the festival for whatever reason, what do you think? Uh, I think it's a couple different things. Like you said, I think the quality of the films overall weren't quite as strong or weren't quite as buzzy as some of the movies we got at Toronto or at Sundance. I think part of it is also, like you said, that um, like I, I don't think as many people had a chance to see the films. It wasn't quite as yeah. accessible as the other festivals. Like I know Sundance, a bunch of people got the chance, not just film critics. But it was a open to the public. Yeah, exactly. And the only way you could watch films here is if you had if you were part of the industry or if you had press accreditation, which they weren't handing out super, you know, religiously, I guess. Yeah, I mean, there was some, I mean, there's not really a sense divulging into that, I guess, but there were some issues, I guess, with uh, accreditation or, I guess, the registering process of it got a little messy. But, um, yeah, I think it was that. And then also there wasn't like, like, there were like big movies here, I guess, from like an indie standpoint, but there wasn't like like a Judd Apatow comedy or like, I don't know, like like sometimes they'll, they'll bring in like a studio movie that's like, a really big deal that like they're premiering at South by Southwest to like mm-hmm. kind of draw and buzz for like it's summer premiere or something like that. And that usually there was is no what, us. Yeah, there was no us. There was no. Yeah. Like, I don't know, whatever, like King of Staten Island or whatever that they would have shown uh, at this year's festival in lieu of uh, and of what we actually got, which is like, I guess your traditional kind of South by Southwest template. Like there's a lot of varying films like they, it didn't feel like 
the movies we saw were outside the the wheelhouse. It just didn't feel like they had the the big films to kind of draw on the buzz for those titles, I guess. And like you said, because it was all virtual and stuff, there wasn't like a hubbub feel to it. It just kind of was a little bit more uh, disparaged. So I think a yeah. number of those factors kind of drew to a, I guess, ultimately kind of underwhelming film festival experience. It's tough for us to compare because this was both our first festivals with South by Southwest. Neither of us had covered it before. And obviously we were aware of films that come out at South by, but it seems to me like it's a very different experience being there. And I don't, I still don't have a full grasp of what South by Southwest is kind of known for really putting out besides the like big studio movie, like you're talking about. Well, I always liken it to like Linker or Richard Linklater's film fest or uh, uh, filmography. I mean, like it feels like every one of his films could have premiered at South by Southwest just because they're like they're all based in Texas. They're all just like people kind of hanging out and talking about whatever else. That's generally like what you chill get movies. from a yeah, basically chill hangout movies or like, you know, movies like with a bunch of uh, disparate people just kind of getting together for whatever reason. That's generally what you get at uh, South by Southwest from what I can tell. So. There wasn't anything like that this year in terms of like Richard Linklater or anything, but sure. there was um, <clears throat> there were a lot of uh, COVID movies, which for sure uh, made we'll, we'll that, get to that. Yeah. We'll get to that. But first, first, I do want to say, like, I, I think that the big comparison point between this and Sundance, especially. And I, I know we just had the Berlin Film Festival, but that's a totally different beast with Sundance. That's known for like being the documentary festival best documentaries of the year tend to come out at Sundance. A lot of good ones do come out at South by as well. And I was a little surprised by like how many documentaries there were coming yeah, they, out. They front loaded the documentaries for sure. It makes me wonder if the reason, and this ties into the COVID thing you were about to get into, if a lot of it has to do with this feeling like a film festival geared around films made during the pandemic. And it's really hard to make narrative films when you don't have like access to as many of the resources and filming locations as you normally would. So it made me feel like a lot of documentaries were made because it's easier to make documentaries. There were a lot of movies we saw that were like mostly taking place in zoom or they were able to like fit in ways to like interview people that way we had a little bit of that at sundance like searchers was kind of like that but man not to this extent i think um i don't know i mean i don't know what the application process was but i know like the films that we got here were a mix of like you said movies that were clearly made during the pandemic or documentaries that were uh made around it or there are movies that I think they were going to premiere at last year's film festival and then they um, yeah. they didn't have that opportunity. So they came to this year's festival. But I am wondering, I mean, there is there's a chance that like the filmmakers might have been approached to like, hey, we're thinking about doing a virtual film festival this year. And because a lot of the films at South by Southwest are like kind of, you know, crowd pleasers, like films that you want to watch with an audience. If maybe a few of them were kind of hesitant, just like, I don't know, maybe I'll just wait until next year when you guys do it in person. Or, you know, like for whatever reason, they didn't want to premiere them online, which I don't know. That, that's just me speculating. I don't know if that's the case, but that could be a possible reason as well. Yeah. And we'll, of course, talk about more specifically the films and we won't. There were there were a good number of films that premiered here. Like you said, a lot of 2020 films in this festival, which was nice to see that they're getting their, their due. But I think we kind of want to focus a little bit on the films themselves and what really stood out, because I know for me, most of the films I saw were not that great. So it's actually kind of hard for me to pinpoint the ones that I really think are worth recommending. That said, I do want to say one thing that was different from Sundance that I think was a lot better, that they handled better. And to be clear, 
there were a lot of issues. There were there was a lot of miscommunication around how to register, how to make sure that you had a seat secured. There was a lot of like back and forth with publicists for us of like trying to fit, make sure like, hey, we can't register for this film. We're not sure if we're going to be able to watch this film and cover it. Can you help us? And the publicist didn't know what was going on. There, there was a lot of like weird uh, hiccups. Yeah, in, miscommunication. It just yeah. sounds like, yeah. Absolutely. And so one thing though that they did kind of nail, I think, was just how you were able to watch the movies. Now there was, I had a little bit of trouble the first day, like the first couple of movies, because I think it was just like overloaded a bit. And so things weren't loading right. I wasn't able to find links and all that. But once it kind of sorted itself out, I have to say, I really thought that they did a better job of like simplifying the process of watching the movies themselves. They were like, basically the way it worked is the movie would premiere at its date. But then after that, if you were registered for it, you could just watch it anytime, anytime. There was no limit. There's no four hour viewing limit. There was no like, oh, sorry, you missed it. And you have to watch an on-demand thing tomorrow. Maybe if you can, you weren't limited to like how many tickets you can redeem or anything like that. It was just the movie's available now. Check it out. You have until Saturday. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was going to say as well is that it was a lot more accessible in terms of the movies being available throughout the week. And you could kind of make your own schedule later in the week because there weren't as many film things that happened during the last two days. So you could catch up on things without it being, like you said, going through a bunch of hoops or having to make sure you have enough like creditations to get this film or that film. It was a lot more simple in that regard. Now, there were some time limits for like a handful of films, I want to say, like Tom Petty and Demi Lovato and the the Volcano one. The The bigger ones. Which, I mean, bigger kind of like in quotation marks, because like we said, they're documentaries. Well, bigger in the so sense like, they were more studio backed, right? They're, well, sure, one yeah. of them, the, the Demi Lovato one was YouTube and then mm-hmm. Under the Volcano was Universal. Yeah, Right. And then Tom Petty, I think, was the headliner. So that makes sense. Yeah. So they had some limitations. But all that said, I think that their decision to just allow people like there was way less anxiety for me this time with Sundance. I felt like I was drowning constantly trying to catch up on things because as soon as I would watch like three films, I feel like there was like six others that I couldn't see and I had to plan the next day and I had to make, it was just like a constant, like I couldn't even enjoy the movies. I was like focused so much on the scheduling instead. And so I really like how South by did it. It was just easier. It was simpler. See, I, I agree with you in terms of like how the layout works, but I felt like I was more overwhelmed watching the movies for this festival because there are only a few days so i was like oh i gotta really prioritize these films and i'll be like oh like i really want to watch this one as well and then be like oh well should i do this one over that one then while i'm watching them one i'm like oh maybe i should like figure out some time to like put this one ahead and i don't know i i think in theory like what you're saying is true like i think in terms of scheduling like it felt more overwhelming to be like okay like i only have 10 like uh credits or whatever for Sundance. So I, I don't want to like miss this movie and that movie and that movie. But with this one, because there was more access, I think that was a better way to go. But at the same time, it was just kind of like you have like all this, all these movies pretty much available to you with the exception of like one or two that sold out where you're just like, OK, like, what should I do? What should I do? And I mean, I don't know. I, I think there, there's like kind of like a, uh, a double edged sword with both uh, ways of going about it. But either way, I mean, I got to see pretty much everything I wanted to see with the exception of like maybe like two or three films from South by. So by and large, I think the process worked. I guess for me, because I don't I, I don't necessarily disagree. I think that you're right that it it was a case of we didn't have enough time. I wish we had gotten at least like one extra day. 
And it's not like Sundance where I do think I did get my fill. I think I, at Sundance, I managed to see just about every single thing that I wanted to see. I think the big difference though, is that it took way more work to do that with Sundance and it took a lot out of me. I didn't have the freedom that I felt like I had with South by where I really could just experiment a little bit, a little bit and take risks and watch things that I wasn't sure about. And whereas with uh, Sundance, it wasn't quite like that. I felt like if I didn't handle my time correctly, I'd really be messing up. Whereas with this one, I, I felt a little bit, and a lot of that has to do with, again, the quality of the films. I think that like a lot of stuff, like I was looking at what people were buzzing about and I saw all the films that I think were supposed to be the better ones. And then I, it was just kind of like a game of like, all right, well, which one do I want to see in sort of the aftermath of the ones that seem like they're really worth seeing now, as opposed to later, especially since like we have like screeners and stuff where we can catch up on other things too. I think a lot of that's going to make it a little bit easier. But uh, for me, I, I think that, yeah, I, I definitely see what you're saying with the double-edged sword. I do prefer this method, maybe like a, a balance of the two. Although it's it, it just kind of weird too, because I forgot to mention this before. This festival is virtual and all, but it's kind of coming as we're nearing the what could be the end of the harshest time of the pandemic where it really seems like we're getting to a mode where cases might actually go down 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 because of the vaccine because we're hitting the uh, part of the year where it's a little warmer anyway and cases are supposed to go down for that reason too so it's looking like things are going to reopen things are cases are hopefully going to go down and stay down so it's a little bit more hopeful. And so this festival is kind of like at the tail end of an experiment, a virtual film festival experiment that I'm not sure will necessarily happen again, at least not in any time soon. Do you feel that? I don't know. I mean, that's the thing for me is that having gone through these virtual film festivals now, like three of them, I don't know if this is like the future, if this is just, a, you know, like a kind of a one off, like you said, a, a kind of a make do makeshift situation. But I have to imagine at this point, it's going to be some mix of the two. Like, I think there's like, like you said, I think there are going to be in-person festivals. Like, I don't think that's going to go away, but I do wonder for like some of these smaller films, if they're going to do like, Hey, we're going to premiere it at this place. And we're also going to do an online virtual uh, premiere at the same time. And like kind of experiment with that and see if they can kind of broaden the audience, maybe not for like the bigger films, like you're saying, but yeah. certainly some of the smaller ones documentary wise that might, uh, you know, otherwise not get as much buzz or like, You'll only hear about them at the festival. And then when they actually come out, you know, they might be muted in their their coverage. So it's like, OK, let's just make them broadly accessible through this virtual option that we now have. Because like now that we have the tech, I don't think that's just going to like go away. But who knows? I don't really know for sure. I, I don't know. I mean, and it takes a lot of money and resources to make that happen. And I don't know if they're going to uh, like put that money into it again, necessarily. It, it, it's a lot. It, it's a lot to have to figure out. So I, I'm not sure. But I will say that I do think that it's very possible we get virtual-only film festivals more often. I don't think that there'll be like South by Southwest, Sundance, Toronto, anything on that level, uh, assuming things go well with like cases going down. I could actually see totally virtual film festivals happening more often where they're smaller ones, you know, and they're ones that are a little bit more indie, a little bit more like we want as many people to watch this as possible. So we're way more willing to kind of open the floodgates to people. I, I would like to see that. I think, I think it's a really cool way to engage with film, it, but it does require a lot of buzz, a lot of energy, a lot of social media activity compared to Sundance. I mean, this one just wasn't that. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, th I think it's going to be a mix of the two. Like, I don't think it's going to be exclusively 
virtual film festivals going forward. Like if there is an in-person option, I think most, if not all film festivals are going to do that. But like I said, I could see a mix of two, like an experiment later on where they have like an in-person premiere, but they also do an online one at the same time just to kind of get as broad of an audience as they can while also having the traditional film festival premiere that they can have like in person for like maybe like the people who want to, you know, support the filmmaker or whatever. So I don't know. I, I, I could see that happening. Maybe not, like you said, at a South by Southwest or even a Sundance or something like that, but maybe something that's of note, but not quite as big. I don't know. We'll see. I'm very curious about that for sure. Let's then let's go ahead and talk about our favorite films of the fest, the ones that we think were the best ones. And we'll talk about a few more after the fact, too, because there there are plenty of films that are interesting here that are well worth discussing films that I'm sure we'll be revisiting on this show uh, later in the year because I'm sure they'll get plenty of buzz. But there's a few here that I don't know if we'll ever, you know, talk about again, honestly. But in terms of the films that we really, really enjoyed, we'll start with you, Will. Uh, what, what was one of, we'll, we'll each pick like three films, maybe. What, what was one that you want to bring up now that just really stood out to you? Um, well, I will say that for whatever reason, the last three films that I saw at the festival, I think might have been my, they might have been my favorite films that I saw. And those were Ninja Baby. Uh, I, I don't know if the, the, the full title, The Folklore horror documentary it's like woodlands dark and days bewitched a history of folk horror it is a title that, uh, that gives you a sense of how long the movie is for sure um and then also uh one called here before which is like a thriller film with uh, andrea rosenborough um those three films um i know you saw i think i think you saw all three of them right yeah yeah i saw all yeah. those and uh yeah. i'm i'm a fan of those films as well i think that um of them, Ninja Baby, I would consider bringing up as one of my favorites. It was like the first one I think I saw that really like hit me in this festival. Yeah, I mean, that was like the one where it was like, OK, like I know it premiered earlier in the festival, but I saw it late and I was just like, OK, this is like kind of what I expect from South by Southwest. You know, it's it's a little quirky. It's a little out there, but it also is fairly accessible and sweet. And it's obviously very personal. And, you know, it has an interesting perspective, but it does follow the conventions of a traditional kind of rom-com, even if it does do some idiosyncratic touches and i don't know i thought it really worked i mean i don't think the end like you were saying to me off the air is is quite as good as the uh first two acts before it but by and large i think this is a very appealing film and i could definitely see i don't know i mean if if people are able to watch you know a foreign language comedy i know that that might be a bit of a barrier for some audiences but i do yeah, think it, it takes does place quite in uh, norland norway yeah. yeah so i don't know if that's a, a hindrance for anybody but I, I definitely think this is one of the stronger films that I saw at the festival. Yeah, I, I think it, it really works because I think that it, it's, a, it's a movie about pregnancy, one night stands, a woman who is trying to avoid decisions that will impact the rest of her life for worse. And uh, the reason she calls her baby Ninja Baby, there is a reason behind it. There's just a it's just a funny premise. And they kind of take a very difficult situation and find some of the joy in it, I think. Like, if not joy, the dark humor in it, I guess, is probably a better way to put it. And yeah, I, I just think this thing really works. I mean, it's just very, like you said, sweet. And you really like these characters. And I, I agree, though, that at the very end of it, it kind of loses its, like, 
steam a, a bit. It, it kind of goes in a direction where you're a little bit like, okay, like it just kind of like limps to the finish instead of like really, really lands. Like they didn't know how to end it. But yeah, I, I think it's a pretty wonderful film myself. Yeah, I mean, um, I think I, I do think the last scene is good. I just think the stuff leading up to it just gets a little, like you said, sluggish in terms of the I mean. approach. Maybe they just weren't quite as confident being like emotionally or dramatically earnest. I'm not exactly sure, but um, yeah, I, I think if it wasn't for that, this would probably be like a really solid, like maybe even like A minus. But as it is right now, I think it's like a solid, firm, likable B plus type film. Yeah, I'm a B plus on it for sure. And I like this director. I haven't seen her other films. Her name is Ingvild Svifiliges. I, I don't know how to pronounce that correctly, but she did a couple other ones. And uh, yeah, I, I like her style. I just I like the way she approaches films about difficult subject matter and just finds funny things about it and puts in characters that are really engaging. So yeah, I was I was a fan of Ninja Baby. What, one that I, I want to bring up here that, and, and I struggle with this a little bit. I, I If I had to pull some films out, there's maybe seven total that I readily like recommend. I'm like, these are actually like, these films are worth bringing up, talking about, uh, featuring on the show, that kind of thing. And one of them, and I'll start with one that I think could be the best film overall of the festival. And I think it's in terms of like, people should watch it. I think most people who watch it will like it, that kind of thing. And I think it's the fallout. Now yeah, this one, what you were bring up. No, I figured that was the one you brought up. I believe this won the grand jury prize as well. Yes. Yeah, so it it won the big prize. It's and, and I think for good reason. I think it's the kind of movie that like hits a lot of different quadrants. The premise of the film is that it, you're kind of in the life of this like everyday teenager played by Jenna Ortega who witnesses or is like in the same vicinity as a traumatizing school shooting. And that's obviously very dark, very heavy, but the film kind of explores like the aftermath of that, how she copes with it, the friendships she starts up. And it's a dramedy, essentially, a coming of age dramedy. And like I said, it hits a lot of different quadrants. It hits the grief of the situation. It hits how teenagers have to endure these like just really trying periods of time. And it, it does it in a way that's pretty, pretty like welcoming to people who might disagree on some of the like basics of like what do we do about this situation because in her sense like the way she's grieving the situation is definitely nuanced and it's tricky and it's a film that really cares about the relationships between the characters and it, it just really sticks out to me i think especially because ortega is just wonderful in this movie we just talked about her in the movie yesterday which hit netflix she was also in the second season of you she's just a very good actress i i like just plain and simple. She's really good. Like she's just, she caps her, captures a different persona in everything I've seen her in. And it's always this sort of like kind of smirky, sarcastic teenager who clearly hasn't experienced all of the tricky things of life or the hardest things of life yet, but the kind of things she does. And she kind of pulls it off without being unlikable. You know, she's always likable, especially in this movie. And it, it really worked for me. I thought, I thought this movie was a, a total hit. But I don't know what you think of it. And uh, I, <laughs> I'm i looking at your letterbox the other day and I'm like, hmm, he hasn't put a grade out yet. I wonder what that means. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, I just was like so busy trying to catch up on stuff that once I just put it into letterbox half the time, I just was like, OK, I just I have a record that I've seen it. Let me just move on. I'm, I'm going to do a little bit. If you if anyone does follow me on letterbox, I will uh, have my thoughts written out in a little bit. But no, I like the film. I, I thought it was definitely. Uh, if it was in my top five, it was pretty close to it for the festival. I, I do think it's a good film. It's definitely very strong directorial debut. I believe this is the director's first film. It is. Yeah. Uh, Megan Park yeah. is the director. Yeah. 
who is, uh, I believe she's an actress. Um, I forget. I know I've seen her in something, but I can't think of what it is off the top of my head. But um, um, yeah, she I'm... was in Secret Life of the American Teenager. She played, uh, which is kind of the connection this movie has uh, Shailene Woodley in it and kind of a small, oh, yeah. but kind of important role. But she plays the uh, character Grace, if people remember that show. So you would, you would probably recognize her. Um, yeah. She's like a Canadian actress. And I think she's okay. also a recording artist, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah. Uh, branching out um yeah i mean i think yeah like i said this is a solid debut um i do agree with you i think uh jenny ortega i think she's really good at being a natural believable teenager while also communicating a lot of the heavy emotional themes that um you know like it, it's a lot of you know heavy stuff to put on a young actress but she does in a way that's you know accessible and believable and even when the plot kind of goes into like some more kind of like over the top directions I do, I do think she communicates the uh emotional themes of the film really well and yeah, it definitely is easy to see why this one was the uh, maybe not the uh, the crowd pleaser per se at the festival, but the one that the people walked away liking the most. Um, it's definitely a solid film. And as you mentioned, I think if there's any of these films I could see like going on to kind of get more recognition or maybe even some award consideration, it's probably this one. I could see it. Yeah, yeah. Especially because it is getting into like very political territory, which tends to give it some awards notice, but we'll see. We'll see. I, I think that I, the, the performances, performances here also kind of helped get sell people on seeing it. People wanted to see it. It's like, Oh, Julie Bowen's in it. And she of course has uh, some interesting moments. John Ortiz is in it as well. But yeah, I think, yeah, I think the other more, I think John Ortega Ortiz, she might've been um, missing a couple of scenes, you know? Yeah. But there was a were... moment at the end, but otherwise, yeah. They were smart to include some other, you know, actors like um, Maddie Ziegler from To All the Boys uh, is in this as well. And she has such a different, she's a very different kind of character in this. Like between the first time you see her and what happens with her character in terms of her personality, in terms of like how she relates to Jenna Ortega's character, it was a kind of like organic friendship that I don't know if I've ever seen in a film before, like to this extent. It, it was just, I don't know, it was handled in such a careful, delicate manner. It was, it's a kind of friendship where you're like, at any moment, something could go wrong. And I don't know, it, I, I, it kind of stuck out to me as, as one of the performances that really worked here. I agree. Um, I mean, her involvement was actually one of the reasons I was a little hesitant to watch this because uh, she's on a bit of my uh, shit list, I guess, because of music. But, um, you know, I, I, I do agree. I think she is really coming into her own. I think this is definitely a, a better performance. And um, I, I also agree with you. I don't know if you mentioned this, but like the the way that characters in this film, like there there's um, like some dynamics in here without getting spoilers that aren't fully resolved, but doesn't feel like messy in terms of like how their approach like it just feels a little bit more honest in terms of like, hey, this thing happens and like there's not really a clear resolution to it, but it's not like they forgot about it. It's just like, you know, this this character hasn't really figured out how to resolve this thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there, there's some stuff with that with her character as well that I, I found really impressive that it felt very in tune with what it would be like to be a teenager right now, especially during such a traumatic ordeal. So definitely something I found very commendable about the film. I'll say one more thing about it before we move on and... Uh, one of the reasons I wanted to talk about is because I have so much to say, but also the editing in this, this editing is very reminiscent. And I, I thought of these films and then I looked it up and I was like, of course, because it's the same editor, Jennifer Lee, who I think is just such a wonderful film editor. She edited Yes, God, Yes, The Skeleton Twins, Alex Strange Love. And I think what I like about her editing style is she has such a good sense of when to end scenes and when to drag them out. 
And it, I don't know, the, the pacing of this thing, I, I was kind of sad that it was over because I felt like it had all gone so quickly for me at least. And so, yeah, I, I would say th this could end up being one of my favorites of the festival. It's definitely sticking out as like one of the, one of the few films that I really like, it's a B plus uh, for sure, but I, I, it could be my film of the festival. So happy to start with it. But okay, well, what's a, what's another one that you want to bring up that uh, you, we really it, it needs it needs to be said it needs to be uh, uh, shared with the fans? Um, well, I had one in mind, but it seems like you're pushing for another film that um, I guess was a bit of contention between us. I don't know which one you'd prefer I discuss. No, no, not necessarily. Uh, what, whatever you want. Okay. Um, I'll say that my biggest surprise of festival, like the film that um, I didn't have any expectations for it i was just like i i i know there's some high profile people in this i'll check it out because it was one of the more uh, readily accessible films of the festival uh and i was really surprised and taken by it was language lessons which is the uh directorial debut of uh what's her name natalia morales i believe is her name Nat from parks yeah natalia morales uh yeah wonderful movie so good yeah um I, this, this is the one, one this one i totally fell for yeah this is the one she directed starred in well, she directed the film by herself, but she also. Oh, sorry, Natalie starred... Morales, not Natalia Morales. Oh. Well, my bad, my my bad. But um, yeah, she directed the film. It's her debut as a director, and also she starred in and co-wrote the film with uh, um, Mark Duplass. Yeah. Who, uh, you know, it's just a. Um, I should say up front, it's like another Zoom film. So I, I think that's gonna turn some people off. I know, like when I started, I was like, oh, not another Zoom movie. <laughs> I'm <Yeah>. so tired <laughs> of Zoom movies. I want that but, parody uh, instead of not another teen movie, not another Zoom movie. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, I'll say that, like you know, without getting into spoilers, I think what I really was taken by with this film was that it was able to communicate a kind of warm and vibrant uh, platonic chemistry between these two characters, even though like they never really share any you know actual scenes together in terms of, like in person. Um, as a director, she's able to, you know, kind of have this back and forth between these two characters in a way that they, they kind of open up and evolve in some very fascinating and humane ways. And uh, yeah, this is definitely one that, you know, had no real expectations for this. But by the end, I was definitely taken and moved by it. So easily one of my favorites of the festival. Yeah, it's it's not the kind of movie where the premise really is supposed to hook you because the whole thing is like, oh, she's a Spanish teacher and he... Uh, Mark Duplass's character, he is gifted a hundred Spanish lessons by his husband, and they start this like uh, very thousand, unlikely friendship out of it. Was it a thousand lessons? Was it, it was a like, thousand? I thought it was a hundred for a thousand dollars. No, wait, no, you're, yeah, no, my bad. You, That's a you're, lot of lessons. <laughs> I was gonna say, I was gonna say it, it was a well, hundred's a lot too, but it is. Yeah. No, you're right. It's a hundred for a thousand. You're right. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, they they strike up it, like they, it's a movie that is about like you said, it's about creating bonds virtually and online. And what I like the most about that is it's definitely something that like first of all, it's the only movie you can probably make during COVID that it, it's like the closest you can make a movie about COVID without talking about COVID. You could watch this five years from now and not really know that it's meant to be that it it could just be that these two people are connecting with each other virtually or online in any context. It, it, that's something that I really appreciate about it. It has more of like a timeless quality. I think it'll age a lot better than a lot of the COVID movies we saw. Oh, for at, sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it's mainly because the performances, I mean, Marty Plas and Nelly Morales just have like such an infectious chemistry here. It's probably the best chemistry of the whole festival, except for one other movie that I might bring up where the chemistry cannot be beaten maybe by anybody, but I don't, and I don't know if you know what movie I'm talking about there, but for, I do not. 
at least off the <laughs> top of my head. But um, okay, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's weird that like for a film that's like about you know Zoom and like inter or international connections that it's it's such a touching film. <laughs> um, yeah, it, yeah. It, it just really uh. It really impressed me for sure. I, I do think, um, you know, Duplass's uh, influence of the film is apparent. Like, you know, he has a good way of like, you know, taking very simple bare bone premises and uh, making them very, you know, enriched and lively. But I don't want to undersell uh, what Morales is able to do as a director here. I think she makes it pretty seamless. Yeah. Like you said, she's able to um, communicate these characters and their their journeys in a way that, you know, feels fairly progressive. Like they're, you know maybe like one or two dramatic beats that feel a bit much. Like there's one thing that's introduced towards the end where I was just like, yeah, I get why they're doing it to move the plot yeah. forward, but it kind of feels a bit like a bit overkill by this point. But I, I think by and large, this is, yeah, like you said, certainly way more accessible than your average zoom movie. And one that I could see being a crowd pleaser, but um, that's one of the things I found kind of amusing is that like, you could watch this with the crowd and be really endeared by it, but you could also watch it by yourself on your computer and still get just as much out of it. And, uh, you know, that's that's the sign of a good film. So I definitely agree. recommend this one. Yeah, I think I think one of the main reasons it works, even though it's a Zoom movie, we should be super clear. It is it varies its structure, its format, how your experience. It's not just like two people talking over Zoom for two hours like that is not what this movie is. And it's it's only an hour and a half. It's they mix things up a lot. It kind of reminds me of searching where that movie also kind of takes its tech and does different things with it. It doesn't go that far, but it does experiment with other ways of delivering storytelling through visual communication. And I think that's a big reason why it doesn't wear out its welcome. It, it's There's always like something different around the corner. And I think that has a lot to do with Duplass and Morales' writing style here, where they came up with ways of like, okay, we've done a lot of this kind of like movie or this kind of like movie language. Let's actually like, <laughs> language, let's move it on. Let's move it into like a different realm of like how these two characters can interact. So instead of talking to each other in real time, let's do a whole sequence of the movie where they're sending each other video messages. It, it's stuff like that where it does the movie manages to be about more than just what it looks like so i hope people give it a chance even though it might look like they, they might be sick of zoom calls i don't know i know i am uh, <laughs> even though i love connecting with friends over zoom and, and all that stuff it's been a boon for me for the last year but it's definitely something it's like well who wants to spend their weekend <laughs> like once things open up especially like oh man i i really miss like who's going to be nostalgic <laughs> for for zoom yeah. uh in you the first know, year John. post yeah. yeah i don't know I'm, i imagine somebody will be but i do maybe. agree i think it would be better to release this i think a little bit but maybe a little bit of distance just in terms of like we've just had so many zoom call th stuff that you know if, mm -hmm. if they put this out like just after things are starting to open up again i think that'd be a really bad strategy because it wouldn't people wouldn't check it out but um, yeah, maybe like later down the line, maybe like in like the colder months of the year in December or something, you could release this and, and just get a nice little warm bundle of a character movie that, uh, you know, it, it, it could seem a little bit opportunistic, I guess, in terms of like, you know, making do of the situation. But like you said, I think it's much better that they're able to, you know, have something, you know, it's very clearly about Coven and made during this time, but it doesn't ever mention it. It's not a point of a, it's not a plot point in the film or anything like that. And I think that's certainly a much better way to go than than directly referencing it as made apparent by uh, pretty much every other film at this festival. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, definitely one I would recommend for sure. So I want to I want to segue that into a movie that is more explicitly about covid. And it's the one I was referring to earlier in terms of like, this is the chemistry that can't be. Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So this movie is called Recovery. 
and not on my radar at all, but you saw it before I did. And you were like, Hey, this is kind of fun. You might like this, uh, mainly because you know what gets me sure road trip movies with siblings. (laughs) Yeah. As uh, we discussed last week. Yes. I have to say this movie, it's, it's the kind of movie where, again, I do really like road trip sibling movies. But it's the kind of movie that, like, if I had read the premise ahead of time, if you had not encouraged me to see it, I don't know if I would have, because it just seemed like the kind of thing that only works if it's hysterical, because otherwise you're just sort of like making COVID jokes for an hour and 20 minutes. And that's what this is, essentially. Uh, the whole story is these two sisters who are, you know, in their twenty or late 20s, early 30s, and one of them just turned 30, actually. And they go on a road trip to try to save their grandmother, their Nana, who is in a nursing home that just experienced a COVID outbreak. And so when you read that, first of all, yikes, a lot of people have dealt with like real tragedy here. Like there, this is really, this is a sore spot for a lot of people. And it's a serious, it's serious subject matter, right? So if you're going to goof on it, if you're going to like take all the COVID stuff we've dealt with in the last year and make jokes those jokes better be well written and they better be funny. But that is what this movie is. This movie is probably the funniest comedy. It's the one that's made me laugh the most since Palm Springs. Like no other movie has made me laugh this much this consistently. And a lot of it has to do with these two main actresses. This was made during COVID, obviously. And it's all, most of the movie is just the two of them riffing. And kind of just like bouncing off of each other, feeding off of each other. You would you would not be surprised if they were siblings in real life. They're not, but they have been like best friends since they were kids. The movie even ends with a sizzle reel of like like home videos they made when they were kids. And you see even then, they are freaking hysterical. And I don't know what it is about the humor in this, but it just really got to me. They it's just it's the kind of comedic timing the kind of like punched up jokes that makes that inspires me to be like you know what we we need to be harsher with comedies because comedies just they aren't funny enough i think broadly speaking we see a lot of comedies that are just they they just don't they don't make us laugh out loud but we give them passes you know we're like that was lightly humorous and that is not this movie. This movie, it, it takes the COVID thing and it just pushes it to its extreme. Uh, by the way, the, so the main actresses are Whitney Collin and Mallory Everton. Mallory Everton co-directed the film with Stephen Meek. And Stephen Meek, this is his, this is their both their first time directing anything. So it's a very collaborative project. They've done a lot of TV and like short film stuff, but this is their first feature film. That's what I mean if, in terms of feature films. And yeah, so... I don't know if people are going to recognize them. I kind of recognize Whitney Kolb. I don't remember what I've seen her in necessarily, but I know I've seen her in something. And that said, I and Stephen Meek is in this, by the way, as well. That said, it's a very bare bones kind of movie. It's a lot of like them in a car, uh, text or messaging people, video calls. There's Because they made it during COVID, there's just not a lot of people in it. But they kind of get the most out of, I think, this premise. And I think it really works. And I think I probably like it a bit more than you do. But I mean, I know you like it. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think, as you said, it's certainly better than your average COVID comedy, whatever a COVID comedy would be at this point. I don't know if there have been a lot of those. Yeah, Um, there's been a few. I mean, at least like we said, like like movies that if they're not directly about COVID, they're like clearly, you know, like filmed during this time or are alluding to it or something like that. And if you look at something like lockdown as opposed to this this is you know much better than that film <laughs> uh and certainly i think a, a lot smarter in terms of how 
it approaches the material and how it it handles the characters and stuff like that. And I do agree. I think making it only about like 80 minutes was definitely a smart call. I, I don't think it completely wears out. It's welcome or anything like that. But I guess where I am a little bit more negative is that it does. A lot of the comedy does feel pretty forced to me. Like it didn't really feel natural in too many scenes. Like it felt like they had to kind of like push the comedy. I understand because, you know, it's primarily the two actresses that they, they have to kind of go off of each other. And I do agree with you. I think their chemistry is very warm and I think they are able to carry it during some of its uh, rougher patches. But um, I don't know. I, I guess I'm just kind of tired of road trip movies that like, you know, like we just got to do something and then wacky stuff happens. Like, whoa, I'll never, like I'll never be tired of that. Um, That's my bread and butter. I just want a road trip movie where like, like things happen, but it's not like over the top or extreme, like a vacation kind of thing. It's just kind of more just like, yeah, we went, we checked into this Airbnb. It was a little weird, but you know, it worked out. And then we went out the road that we went to eat here and stuff like that. I'm sure there are movies like that, but I, I, I guess I, I want to seek them out at this point, but um, I do agree. With you. I think what makes this movie work is the uh, chemistry and the writing between our two leads played by, like I said, Whitney call and Mallory Everton. They're, they're what they're the reason the movie works, I think by and large, but yeah, I wish I was as positive on this film as you and many other people are, but I think it's good. Like I, I definitely am glad I, I checked this one out and I, I do think that it does put a lot of other COVID comedies to show in terms of like, here's something you can do. Here's ways you can kind of get around this without feeling like you have to kind of settle for, you know, just doing kind of lazy stuff. So definitely a worthwhile film, but not one I really loved. So that's where I stand on it. Yeah. I mean, obviously I think that when it comes down to it, it's a short film. It's one that doesn't offer a ton outside of its premise. It's not the kind of thing that ma- it doesn't make you think. It doesn't. It really just sort of exists to be like, "Hey, we w- we got through this pandemic. Let's have a few laughs about it." I think I think that's its mood, and I think that for some people, they won't be in that headspace to laugh about this stuff. But I think a lot of us are. And then, then at that point, it just comes down to: Do you think? it's funny enough to last its runtime for me. It definitely is. I mean, I just, I I just found their, their jokes that just the jokes themselves to just be really good. This has like an energy and a speed to it. That's like so quick and it had me totally gripped on it. So yeah, I, I am super enthusiastic about it and I hope that it finds a good home on a good, like if not streaming service, like I, I just hope people are able to give it a shot, give it a, roll the dice on it i don't sure. know where it will probably land necessarily uh, but i could see it on like hulu or something i was gonna say hulu would be my guess like i don't know if it's it's there's there no big names or anything in this so i don't know if it's it's going to be on hulu's radar but um based on yeah. the reviews and stuff i could see it i think that would be the best home for it but who knows maybe we'll go to amazon i don't know release the recovery cut i also don't know why it's called recovery I, that seemed like the I, I feel like it needs a better name because um, I I think there's a reason I I don't know if I can say without uh, diving into spoilers, but yeah, it's not. The I, title I just feel I like that's picked. not. Yeah, I get where I get where that part of it comes from, but it's I don't know. It just doesn't sum up the movie for me. I guess I don't know. I'm being a bit of a title yeah. snob. Right. No, I I I did feel that way too. Like when I was over, I was just like, wait, why did they call that recovery? <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah, I mean, you can you could put it together, I guess, but it's you're kind of stretching. But anyway, uh, what what other film do you got, Will? Um. Well, one movie that. I mean, it's not like the best of festival or anything or one that I think is like an amazing film or anything like that. But when I think back in the festival and, and think about when I had a good time or when I was smiling or when I was like, hey, this is a movie that possibly no one could dislike. Like, who could be critical <laughs> of a film like this? Such a sweetheart of a film. I think of Best Summer Ever, <laughs> which is the um, musical that uh, I forget the filmmaker's name. But I don't have their, their information off the top of my head, but um, 
this is a film that I believe they filmed <clears throat> in 2017, and it, it took a little bit to get to uh, South by Southwest. So it was going to premiere at last year's uh, festival. I, I I saw that, and I guess because it got canceled, they they decided to push it to this year's. So it, it had had it has had a difficult road getting to uh, the big screen or even the small screen, but now it's finally here. And uh, you know, this is just a I guess I should preface that this is a film where almost all the casts are people with uh, disabilities or um, I, I don't know if that's the exact term to use, um, but um, everyone involved with this film, they're able to communicate this sort of like earnest and enthusiastic high school musical feel that not like high school musical, like the movie high school musical, but like a high school musical that you would put on for your school. And uh, it was just one that Throughout the whole thing, I was smiling. It just made me feel good. It just felt like everyone involved with this was so giddy, so willing to just like be. They they loved being in this film. They they loved singing their hearts out, and it just left me with a big smile on my face. And I was like, surely John Negroni will like this too. He'll he'll have a time. And he just was like, nope, I I, I care less care less about these poor kids putting on their darndest best show they could. <laughs> I just thought it was not very good. <laughs> I mean, I love the idea of it. It it's so nice just to see like they they chose to be like, you know what? Disabled kids and disabled actors, they they always have to compete for like bit roles and roles that are not well written that highlight things about their experiences that can be patronizing and condescending, but here is a movie where they get to fill up the cast. They get to be part of this school and this universe and in ways that are inclusive that yeah. are without calling attention to it or anything exactly like yeah and i'm like man more movies should do that more you know that to me feels like authentic it feels like it's giving them a, a space it's giving them a, a place where they can really act and and like you said sing their hearts out and all of that is wonderful and i just think that though when it comes down to the story and the music, I just don't think it's very good. I don't think the music's very good. I think the main actress, uh, Shannon DeVito, I think she, yep. she has a really great singing voice and she gets like one song in this that I think is great where she gets a song just to sort of sing what's on her mind and all of that. But every other song in this, I think it's it just didn't really stand out to me. And, you know, I like the other lead, Ricky Alexander Wilson. He's clearly like very talented guy. He's got really great dance moves. They have a good chemistry together. You believe that they have this like fresh high school love. It's it's such a, a cool premise in terms of like, what if, you know, we took Greece and essentially like high school musical, which is like the modern Disney-fied Greece. Yeah. And we kind of did something a little bit edgier, still modern. You know, there's weed in this. There's, you know, a little bit of cussing. Uh, they're kind of giving it more of an edge, which I, I like. I think that it mat I don't know if it was something you liked as much because I think you wanted this to be warm and sweet and more. Like, no, I, I liked it. I just, I, I when I mentioned wholesome. that, I just was like, it, it just kind of uh, threw me back a little bit because I was like, oh, I thought this was like a G film. And then all of a sudden, like weeds involved. And I was like, oh, OK, well. This is a, a departure, but it kept me on my toes. I was just like, okay, where's this going to go? Like, it's, it, I, I actually thought that was a, a fun touch, but I can see why that might throw some people off. I, I guess I just was a little bit bored by the, the plot mechanics of it. I was like, all right, I know what's going to happen. I know that the drama between these characters is going to be this. This will be resolved this way. The villain here, played by Madeline Rose, is just, of course, like hyper one dimensional. And it just, it does things that are not as good. And like, if you're gonna if you're gonna rip off Greece, please do. 
because Greece is not a sacred cow. It it has a lot of issues as a movie, but you, I don't know. I I think that it you, you do have a high standard you have to hit because that movie has iconic songs, has good performances, and even its villain. Like you can kind of understand where the villain is coming from in Greece, if not the villain, the more like antagonistic characters in that uh, Rizzo, I guess, where you, you can kind of see like they have a story too. But in this movie, it's just everybody who's like antagonistic is just kind of like kicked to the curb as a boring character. And I, don't, I just don't respond as well to movies like that. I, I agree with you that it's warm and it's sweet. And I liked it as a, as a movie to give these, these actors uh, some, some, some time to shine as they deserve. But I, I just, I can't say that I liked it as a movie. So it was not for me the best summer ever. Oh man. Um, I, I agree with some of what you said in that, like, I think the plot of the film is definitely like a Disney Channel original movie type thing. Like, I don't I'm not saying this is like the best plot ever or anything like that. I, I definitely think it's very derivative of other films, but I don't think the movie itself really cares that much. Like, it seems like it, it's well aware of that. It's just about having fun and being, you know, wholesome and sweet and just celebrating these characters and, and having a chance for all these different actors to work together. And like I said, everyone involved with this, even down to the crew, as we see at the end, seems like they really enjoyed making this movie. And I think it's infectious. Like, I, I genuinely think like while I was watching this film that that people are going to get really inspired by it. Like I said, like, I don't love the high school musical movies. Like I don't really watch Grease that often. I like Grease. So I think it's a fine film, but I, I, I put this one on that level or even higher because it's able to communicate just that joyous feeling of like, you know, like you say, like you're in a high school production, like they just want to, you know, do best by the parents and just like put on this really their their best darn show they can. And and I think, you know, that that's really sincere. And I, th- I think that the songs are pretty good. Like, I don't I don't really agree with your criticism that they're they're, they're bad songs. Um, I don't think they're amazing songs or anything, but I've been trying to find the soundtrack since I watched the film because at least a few of them have been stuck in my head since. So I don't know. I, I think it's a genuinely pretty charming crowd pleaser. I don't think it's, you know, if you're going to go with the expectations of it being like something like, I guess, Grease, I could see it being disappointing. But I don't know. I think I think if you approach it on its own level, it's it's a pretty darn sweet and likable film. I, I definitely tried. And, you know, I'm really glad that they had fun. I'm glad you had fun. I, I just didn't have fun, which, you know, it could be a me thing for sure. I, I hope other people have fun with it. I, 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 I think, I think they generally well. Yeah, I think most people will like this. Uh, and I say that a lot, but I think this time I really mean I think most people are going to like this because, you know, who would dislike such a film? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I agree with you. I think like, yeah, for the most part, people will, will like it. I don't think a lot of people love it, but, you know, the ones who do, I think are in for a real treat. Okay, so I got to bring up this movie that, man, this this was the movie that made me feel the most like in the shoes or the rollerblades of the character where I felt like after I watched this movie where it's it's the kind of movie where it's like a one day this person is going through an entire day of their life, I felt like I went through the entire day with them. I felt like fatigued after this movie like they were in a good way. And that is I'm fine. Thanks for asking. And I think you saw this one too, right? I actually got a screener for it and I was watching it a little bit before we recorded, but I didn't get a chance to okay. finish it. So uh, by the time this is out, I'll have seen it, but at this moment I have not seen it. Okay. Yeah. So it is directed by Kelly Kelly and Angelique Molina and Kelly Kelly also stars in the film. Um, she also co-wrote the film with Angelique Molina and Roma Kong. And 
it, the whole setup of the movie is this is another COVID one. I'm sorry. That was just, that was what this festival was. <laughs> this festival was a lot of like, we made this during COVID and we, we decided not to try to hide it. And that's kind of what this movie is. It's like COVID isn't the story of this movie. It's sort of like this persistent backdrop. It, it's sort of informing why these characters are dealing with such dire straits. The setup is that Kelly Callie is this single mother whose husband kind of, it, it's kind of implied that he died from either something, either from COVID or something related to COVID, but it's never specified. But it doesn't matter why he died. The point is that she's a single mother. She's recently widowed. And because all of this has happened and so much of the economy has really tanked uh, in this neighborhood in Los Angeles, she is now houseless. Now, they, they kind of do this thing where it's not really homeless for her. It's kind of, they say it's houseless. I, I'm not sure what the terminology is supposed to be there, but I mean, the point is she and her daughter, who is only eight years old, are camping out in this like, sort of like, outside area of their suburb. And so we spend a day with her as her daughter is doing virtual schooling with a family friend. She is rollerblading around Los Angeles, trying to work up as much money as she can to get them off the streets. And it's, it's again, another movie that is dealing with serious subject matter. It's not the kind of movie that's supposed to be making you just feel good all the way through. There's a lot of heartbreak in this. There's a lot of hardship, but it's also a funny movie too. And it has lightness to it. It has some comedy, but also some like, I, I don't want to say slapstick, but something kind of close to that. It, it, it's not campy, but it's like, and I, sorry, I'm not saying campy for the pun, but it is a bit heightened in some ways. We go through this whole thing where she's trying to do like their version of Postmates and it's kind of like highlighting some of the absurdities of that sort of thing. It's, there's a lot of commentary in this movie about people who are kind of on the fringes of society, but like newly, like they, they don't really want to be, they don't deserve to be. They've been kind of forced in this situation and it's highlighting what a lot of people during the coronavirus pandemic have been going through but have been sort of forgotten, aren't really being regarded. You see the dichotomy between a person who is literally with like her last dollars trying to work up money for just a security deposit so that they can get an apartment. And they even talk about like stimulus checks in this and how people are using it in different ways. And you see the dichotomy between that like living, like what those people are going through during the pandemic and then what other people are going through, which isn't nearly as challenging. But to them, it feels like what they're going through is the worst. So it's like, it's that kind of movie. It's it's kind of designed to, I don't want to say make you feel guilty, but just kind of like open your eyes a little bit to other kinds of stories and do it in a very accessible, approachable way. Not a way that's just like constantly trying to guilt trip you into caring about people, but just kind of put you in, like I said before, their shoes, put you in their rollerblades. So you kind of see like the pain, you see all of that, but you, you can also see that like their lives aren't just constant dread and sorrow. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's atmospheric to their lives. It's part of it. They want to get out of it, but they also find ways to fill their days with, with joy and, and friendship and things like that. So I really enjoyed this. I think that it's extremely well acted, well directed. It it's not I think for everyone and I know some people have kind of come away from it not liking it <laughs> and kind of being like uh I, I think I think some of the criticisms I've seen have been like, you know, uh it's it's the kind of movie where 
it, it doesn't really capture all of these things as head on as it probably should. And it's it kind of like some people are worried that's not going to age as well because it's a little bit COVID specific. But I'm definitely of the mind that I think it, it really works. And um, I, I think that I'm, I'll probably be an outlier with this one, possibly, because I really enjoyed it. But is that so you said you started it, but you haven't finished it? Yeah, like I'm talking like first three minutes of the film. I have oh, okay. not seen anything to like have any assessment or critical evaluation of the film. Like I just started it. And then you were like, hey, you ready to record? And I was like, OK. <laughs> um, <laughs> nice. Yeah, so I, I haven't had a chance to watch this one, but I am curious to check it out. I got a screener for it. So I put it off during the actual week of the festival, but I'm ready to check it out today. So I'll have to report back to you when I actually get to watch it in full. But for now, I can only only assume that what you're saying is right. All right. I think we each have time for one more movie. Uh, what's what's your last one, Will? So. The one I want to talk about, it's another documentary, but uh, it's one that I was really looking forward to when the festival started, which is introducing Selma Blair, which is a, uh, I guess, character documentary about uh, the actress Selma Blair, who, and I believe in, uh, I want to say like 2018, was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, which has been a journey that she's been very public about. She's been talking about her journey on social media, particularly on Instagram, and she has become a public face for the disease. But we haven't really gotten the full chance to see what her journey has been like. We've only really gotten to see like bits and pieces of what her experience has been. And this documentary just puts a pretty clear eye look at what she's going through in a way that, you know, is definitely very revealing, very thoughtful in its approach, but at the same time, it is a tough watch. So, I mean, if you have, uh, you know, some more lighthearted affair that you want to get to before this one, I can understand. But I, I do think it's very much a worthwhile film to watch. Um, Summer Blair is a very open and sincere person. And you can tell that she's very uh, upfront about what she's going through and she doesn't really sugarcoat it. But, you know, I, I think that can be a bit of a a draining experience to watch, but at the same time, because she is so forthright and because she is so willing to be open about this process, it is a very revealing and emotional film. And it definitely is one that has stuck with me throughout the week as being one of the strongest documentary films I saw and a festival that was primarily documentary. So this is definitely the one that I would recommend. And I believe it's going to be on Discovery Plus, which I don't exactly know what that is. But um, that'll be it's a streaming service. Way to, yeah, I know. But I mean, like, I don't think they have anything on there yet, right? Like uh, it's they've been coming out with, I mean, it's pretty new, but they've been coming out with some okay. stuff. I've been getting some press releases. Okay. Well, uh, when it's available on there, you should definitely check it out if you have Discovery Plus. And uh, yeah, that's definitely one of the ones that stuck out with me during this festival. Yeah, I, I didn't get a chance to see it, but I, I really wanted to, and I, I just barely wasn't able to fit it in yesterday. It's uh, It really works looks worthwhile, and I, I hope to catch it soon, because I'm, I'm a fan of Summer Blair's work, and I'm very interested in... And how she, you know, that all the aftermath of all that stuff, because like you said, she has been pretty open about how multiple cirrhosis has affected her life. So, yeah, there, there were a lot of documentaries, you know, we won't get to, but, you know, maybe we'll do like a quick, uh, you know, overview of some other films. But the last one I'll highlight as one that I really think is worth checking out, for me at least, was Violet, which... My goodness, this this movie, it, it was one of my most anticipated of the festival, mainly because I was really curious about the casting. And it, it stars Olivia Munn. And Olivia Munn is an actress who has been in some bad movies, I think is pretty fair to say. She's been in movies, I think, that not her fault. I think she just ends up in these very weird roles that don't really match, I think, her talent uh, as, as an actor. 
And I say that because like I was a fan of her when she was doing like Attack of the Show on G4. And, you know, there, there are things I've seen her in where I've been like, man, you know, like there, she has like a presence. She has like like Magic Mike, I think, is like the movie where you can really see that. Uh, I know that you like that film as well. But then she's in these other movies, you know, like Baby Makers and X-Men Apocalypse and Predator. And, you know, I just, these aren't movies that I think are terrible or anything. Um, at least like, I don't think X-Men Apocalypse or Predator is terrible, but I, they're just movies that like, she's just always in the background and she doesn't really get to, you know, stand out in these films. But Violet is like, it stars Olivia Munn. It is like a capital P performance. And it is tackling some stuff that I found very relatable and very interesting. The whole premise of it is she plays a 30-something film executive who is dealing with like very intense anxiety. Throughout all hours of her day, there are two sort of competing voices. Uh, one of them is a voice she hears in her head, and the other is a voice that is written out on the screen. So it's more of like her conscience. And the voice that she hears in her head is voiced by Justin Theroux. And at, for a second, I thought, honestly, throughout part of this movie, I thought it was uh, Will Arnett. It sounded kind of like Bojack Horseman was talking to her a few times, which was kind of weird. Um, if there was one edit I would make to this movie, I would actually like maybe recast that. <laughs> I don't know what you thought. Um, I think you're thinking it's Will Arnett because of that one Bojack episode where. Um, yeah, it, it feels like piece that. Of shit. I think. It's yeah. The episode. Yeah. Yeah, because the whole the whole gimmick, the whole thing with the voice is that it's telling her she's terrible, she's worthless. It's like, don't do that, don't do it. Like giving her toxic advice and telling her, you know, when she's in a meeting of just like put up with it. You want to keep your job, don't you? And it's just like this extremely um, antagonistic version of anxiety that kind of like gets to the heart of like why certain people get in their own way, why they don't do things that make sense or like things that they would otherwise do like that kind of prohibits them realizing a fuller romantic and professional life but the words that are written on the screen are things of like what she really feels like the essence of who she really is and i really love the editing in this movie because that's a hard thing to pull off to show these like it's like three three competing visuals and auditory things. Um, I, I guess it's like what, what like stimulation or it could be like stimulation overload almost because you're seeing what happens on screen, you're reading the words and you're also hearing the voice. And it's like three different experiences of a film happening simultaneously. And it can kind of get overwhelming for people, I think. Like, I think some people will watch this and have a hard time with it. I, for me, I felt like something that I absolutely want to see again because I'll get to be able to kind of... Uh, experience it in a different way or with a little bit more context and focus on different things. I did rewatch some scenes because I was very curious how they tied to each other. So another nice thing about a virtual film festival is that you can do that. And uh, for me, that was pretty helpful. Also in this film uh, uh, is her childhood friend played by Luke Bracey. Uh, Anne Ramsey is also in this film. There's a lot of really good cameos. I won't give away actually. Uh, there was one where you were just like, you didn't understand why I was so excited to see a certain cameo in this, but uh, I'll leave I'll leave that to the listeners if they if they catch this film if they if they like it as much as I did. But even though this is a film that takes place in Hollywood and it's about you know a person who like produces movies and that's not super relatable. It's not like a lot of people are going to watch that and be like, man, I've been through this exact same situation. But I do think 
it is universal in the sense of like people have been in these positions in their jobs. They've been in these positions dealing with bosses who are awful to them and not having the mental fortitude to stand up for themselves and tell Davy Erlenbacher that, no, I am going to review Home Alone for taking back the house the way I want to do it. And if I, I honestly think, Will, if we could all do that, we'd be just a little bit, we'd be well off a little bit more. I don't know. But yeah, I really like this movie. Uh, did you like it? I did like it, though. Um, I mean, we talked about this a little bit already. I, I think the first two thirds of it, I was really with it. And like you said, I mean, it's not that what it's saying is particularly new or, uh, you know, it, it's taking this approach that hasn't been done before. Like I said, I think the BoJack episode does a similar thing. And I, I think that's one of the best episodes of that show uh, in a show that I really do like. Um, but and I do agree with you that I think Olivia Munn, this is probably her best performance. Like, I I, I don't know if it's... I think uh, it is. I, I can't think of another performance she's done that's even Yeah, I was going to say, this. I don't know if I would put this over Magic Mike, but I think I would. Because I, I do think, you know, because that's like a sporting performance. I think she's very good in that. But exactly, this yeah. is like a, a showcase for her, and I think she does a great job. And I, I do think... Wait, Christine... I forgot <sighs> Ninjago. Oh, of course, yes. How yeah, could, yeah. How could Sorry. you forget? Um, but... I do think this is also a very strong uh, directorial debut for Justine Bateman. It's definitely a flashy film, which I think, like you said, might um, put some people off in terms of like, you know, having an opening that's like trying to be like Requiem for a Dream, basically, with a bunch of uh, like car crash footage and like, you know, like whatever blood cells going and stuff like that. Um, But for me, I guess where I I, I, I kind of walk around eggshells here because I don't want to like spoil anything, but like there's something about the end of it that rang a bit false for me in terms of like kind of coming up with a clean resolution that to me just didn't really work. Like I, I, I appreciate what it's doing. I, I, I can say I was with it throughout, but then the end of the film, it's not that it kills a movie or anything like that. It just didn't, it, it just left me feeling like, okay, that's a very like Hollywood take on anxiety and stuff like that. It, it kind of feels a little bit too tidy in terms of uh, a film that has been, you know, openly pretty messy or willing to let the characters be messy and stuff like that. And that kind of killed the the buzz for me a little bit. Like I, I felt like the, the film before that was pretty strong and pretty good about revealing this complex character in a way that I felt pretty honest and forthcoming. But then that those last few scenes just didn't, didn't quite stick the landing for me and, and left me a bit underwhelmed, but I can definitely see the appeal. And like I said, I think otherwise it's definitely one of the strongest films of the festival, but that's something about the film that just didn't quite work for me. Yeah, I have to agree. I I think the scenes I think as executed are good. Like, I don't think it's a it's a bad way to end the film. I just think to what you're saying thematically, the way things happen and the the way certain things are resolved, it just felt like a shortcut. It felt a little bit like there should have been more to it. Not that the movie needed to be longer necessarily, but there needed to be a little bit more of like set up, pay off, that kind of thing in order for it to feel like something was accomplished because then it just feels like it was accomplished because it's accomplished or not. And that, that kind of got in my way as well. It's it's what kept the movie from being, this is the only film, the closest any of these films got to being like an A territory for me grade wise. But yeah, I think I think the way that it, it kind of just misses the mark on its end is what brings it down to you're still, I think, a really terrific movie worth people's time, a B plus for me, but definitely not like a must see like you haven't, you know, this is really going to knock people, knock their socks off. I think that a lot of people will watch this, maybe be into it, and then it'll just kind of end and, and fail to leave as lasting as an impression as it probably should and, and could. Uh, I do I do think this is a great debut for Justine Bateman. 
I think she has a really good knack for experimenting a bit with film and experimenting with different ways you can capture uh, the way people are feeling about certain things that feel uh, different or like they feel like it's like they, they explore things in new ways, like ideas that are we're familiar with, but tackling them in new ways so that you can discover something new about the way anxiety affects people. I, I like that stuff a lot. And uh, people might know her from uh, I think she was she played a character on like Family Ties. But other than that, I don't know too much about her work. I know she did like a short film uh, some time ago called Five Minutes, which I haven't seen. But are you talking about Justine Bateman? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I primarily know her from uh, there's like a like a video that I think um, her and Justin Bateman did. I, I believe that was made fun of on uh, Red Letter Media. That is like kind of like a very cheesy 80s kind of thing. But yeah, I think she's been pretty much out of the spotlight compared to like her brother who's been, you know, really propelling himself as a, an actor and a director of late. So it is nice to see this kind of come back from her. I, I was definitely excited to see that when I saw she had a film at the festival. Um, did you, did you find this movies, uh, were you overwhelmed by any of the, like the stuff I was talking about? Or do you think that part of it did work? Like the way that it combined all of these, like, ele- like storytelling, storytelling elements. Uh, no, I didn't find it overwhelming, at least not in a way that it was unintended to be. I think it, it communicates its themes pretty well. I, I mean, if anything, I, I think it, it, it might have been better if it was willing to indulge that aspect more. I think, you know, like you said, like the, the text on the, the screen and stuff is pretty convenient. Like, I think if it was a little bit more like messy in that regard, I think it would have been interesting. But um, I think it, it communicates it in a, like, a fairly accessible way pretty well without it being like a like chore to sit through, but not feeling like completely false. Yeah. So I think by and large that, that stuff works. Okay. Yeah. I was, I, that's the thing I'm most curious about of like, I wonder if that's going to be something that some people have a real issue with. I, I kind of described it to you before you saw it. I was like, it just, it remi- it's like you take like a Charlie Kaufman character and somebody like Aronofsky is trying to do like a black swan kind of thing with it. And that, that's kind of how it feels, at least like in the first act. But then it kind of turns it into its own thing. I, I am glad that you mentioned Jason Bateman, her brother, just because I I didn't expect him to be in this and he's not in this. But I don't know, there was something about the way she writes some of these characters that did make me sort of think of like the way Jason Bateman, some of the characters Jason Bateman has played in certain movies. And there's a couple characters in here that kind of, I don't know, they kind of exhibit some of that energy for me in some ways, but I know it's a movie I'm going to be pondering over quite a bit. It's a movie that I'm going to be thinking about. And it's one that bums me out a little bit because I don't think it reaches its absolute full potential. But that's, that's a compliment in a way, because I think that it's, it's a strong start, especially for this director. And I, I hope she continues to make films. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, um, you know, as a debut, as a, uh, first time film i definitely think it's strong and encouraging like i said if anything i just think that because it doesn't stick the landing it, it's just frustrating because the stuff that works before it i felt was undermined but um by and large like i said I, I can definitely see why it was one of your favorites the festival and and i did enjoy the experience like i thought it was a worthwhile film to watch but it just didn't have the same uh takeaway i guess by the end of it as it did for you which is fine but for me it definitely was disappointing so those were uh, are some of our favorite films of the festival. And, you know, there, there were, there were a lot of interesting films, you know, and, and I don't, I don't want to make it sound like that's it. That's everything that's worth watching. I wouldn't say that's the case. There were some films I saw that I didn't love, but I thought kind of were, were films to kind of look out for. For example, I think the Tom Petty documentary somewhere you feel free, pretty effective. 
I thought that one and also Under the Volcano, which there there were a lot of documentaries about music, musicians, his, well, history. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty South by Southwest, I guess. But yeah, that one Under the Volcano and Alone Together, like those three were the strongest for me in terms of like music documentaries. There was also the Demi Lovato one, uh, Dancing with the Devil, which, man, I, I really thought it, it, it's not bad. And it's it's kind of like, when I first saw it, I was kind of thinking it was in the same level as those movies, but the more distance I have from it, the more I'm kind of like, I think that was probably worse than I estimated it on the first watch. Yeah, it, well, it's definitely a very YouTube film. Like I, I, I've, I've seen a couple of documentaries from YouTube now and they, they kind of deal with similar subject matters. And when I'm watching, I'm very engaged. I'm very much with it. They, they make very polished, you know, well-produced documentaries. But then yeah. when I have some distance from them, I'm always just like, oh, well, you know, maybe that wasn't quite what I thought it was like it, it I think it it communicates a lot of things really well and I don't di- uh, discount the sincerity of what Demi Lovato is saying in that film and I think for our fans it's going to be a very rewarding watch but I do agree with you that that's something about it I, I mean it's going to come out in a week so maybe we can discuss it next week but there's some things about it that didn't quite sit well with me upon yeah, reflection same. and yeah especially after seeing Alone Together which I think is so much stronger that's the one with Charlie XCX is that how you yeah Charlie XCX yeah uh, a fan of her music, but clearly not like a household name like Demi Lovato is. But I think by comparison, that documentary really felt like of a different level, like a different caliber, closer to something like uh, the Billie Eilish documentary. I know you didn't like that one as much as I did, but I don't know. I, I just like feel the, like I'm getting a more complete picture of what this artist is like. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I like the the Billie Eilish one and I like the um, uh, Charlie XCX one, but I do agree with you. I think even though I think quality wise, they're not too far apart. Like, I think I'll think back on Alone Together as being a more honest and like uh, a little bit more uh, rewarding watch as opposed to um, the Demi Lovato one, which just did feel like a very PR effort, like something that that our right. team put together probably aggressively. So it's the point where it's just like, uh, who's pulling the strings here? I don't know. But um, I do. Yeah, I think. That one is definitely benefited by um, even though both subjects are very forthcoming about their image and their music and whatnot. Um, I, I do think Charlie XCX is able to put that together in a package that is a little bit more uh, sincere, a little bit more true to the brand as opposed to something that that YouTube threw together to, you know, uh, I know they've done a couple films with uh, Demi Lovato at this point, but it just kind of felt like a continuation of that in a way that was frustrating because it felt like there was more more to explore there that they didn't really explore but overall yeah i think both are fine i didn't love either of them um but i would say of the three that you mentioned i think uh the charlie xcx one was the the one i liked the most well we're still on documentaries uh, the non-music ones i do want to say my two favorites were dear mr brody which was about the like hippie millionaire guy and his story yeah, from the good. late 60s that was really interesting yeah, I like that one. That was good. But but the one I think I like a little bit better that I think is probably going to we're probably going to be like referring back to a lot <laughs> over the years probably is the history of folk horror. I think that one it it definitely is reminiscent to me of like the really strong horror documentaries that we've seen in recent years. I thought of Black Noir, the uh the history of black horror. Horror um, Noir. Horror Noir, thank so. you which is on Shudder and how that film kind of like gives you a, not a complete like history of black horror, but it gives you like a really good starting point. It's, it's very much like the kind of documentary you would watch in bits and pieces and like a competent film studies class. And this one's like three and a half hours long or something, but 
I, I just thought it was pretty effective. I, I like how they segment things out. I like that they explore, they, they really get across that like full core is massive. It's not just like one or two things. There, there is a lot of significance behind those things. It's not amazing as a documentary because I do think we were joking about this. It does fall into that trap of like, you have some of these like niche, like so-called horror experts, like saying extremely grandiose things about films that we're probably not trying to talk about what they're saying they represent. <laughs> There's a little bit of that, especially as it goes on. But I really dug it. And uh, I think you liked it, too. Yeah, that's one of my favorites of the festival. At one point, it was my favorite. But I think the length of it might have, uh, I don't know, I think it kind of wore on me by the end. I, I I think that might have been because I saw it last or one of the last films I saw at the festival that, you know, a three hour and 15 minute uh, academic encyclopedic look at the history of horror or folk horror is, uh, you know, it's a bit of a trying thing to to fit at the end of a festival. I, that was more my fault for timing, but at the same time, yeah, you know, I did it, the same it, thing. It, so, yeah, I, I think if I were to watch this uh, outside of the festival, like if it, I'm have to assume the shutter is going to pick it up. Like this seems like a very shutter movie to watch, even uh, not even taking uh, horror noir into account. I think it's just something they would put on their site, and I would love to, you know, kind of watch it that way and just take it in in that respect outside of the festival. But of the films that we saw at the festival, I do think it's one of the best ones. And uh, I saw quite a few documentaries that I liked. So that, that comes as pretty high praise. I mean, I would say, yeah, Shudder seems like the pretty clear fit. But at the same time, you know, I was sort of feeling like this has the built-in structure of a Netflix docuseries, like limited docuseries, because it's long enough that you could do like three or four episodes. And they even have... Like what, isn't it like four different segments? Um, yeah, like, four chapters. Yeah, like you could just do that. And I think it would be a little bit more digestible. I think each episode would only be around like half an hour pending. But I think I think it's an easier way to digest this sort of thing is to just sort of separate it out. Because I, I do think it's, it's episodic in the sense that I don't think everything ties in super neatly with the others stuff. Like, I think like the British full course really stands on its own and it's good context for, for when you get into the segment about indigenous full core, or when you get into Australian full core, like they all are related to each other to some extent, but I do think that you could just like binge this sort of thing or just watch it in different sittings and still get the full experience out of it without the fatigue, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I mean, I do think all the segments complement each other pretty well but i do think the last segment and this might just be because i was kind of tired at this point but i felt like they kind of were like they're trying to cover so much at that point that it, it kind of felt like it, each individual film in that that moment didn't really get its full due it's just like well we got to talk about this oh we got to talk about this film oh we got to talk about this one because it's like so international at that point that i just, i don't know if that segment yeah. quite works as well as the like two or three before it but by and large i think this is a really you know digestive and dense documentary dense in a good way like it's very comprehensive uh very much like it, it gives you a pretty good rundown of this history of this genre without you know feeling like you're too overwhelmed for most of it in a way that i think is really commendable i do think it should be noted that like i don't think this has like the same budget as something like horror noir and a few other films like you can kind of tell that the interview segments are a little bit more shabby in terms of their presentation and i wasn't it wasn't crazy about the director interviewing herself. Like that kind of felt a little weird to me, but not that she doesn't have the expertise or anything. It just was kind of like, uh, why not just interview somebody else? <laughs> <laughs> to your point, I think they put more, they put more effort and resources, I think into bringing the archived stuff to light 
and yeah. like editing around and producing around like the actual segments and the rep the visual representations of what they're talking about. Whereas the talking heads, I mean, it is pretty generic. Like there's nothing really experimental or innovative about the way this documentary is presented when it's just giving you the raw information. It's just people kind of talking, which is fine for this kind of thing. That's why you, you, I think the word you said was pretty spot on encyclopedic. It's kind of what it's going for. It's not like horror noir where that was way more like it was like film fans and film experts like sitting in a movie theater kind of like just talking to each other and it was a little bit more inventive with how yeah. they were discussing the impact of that sort of thing on their lives similar to something like disclosure as well it's like it's still people talking oh, yeah. but it's yeah it's a different it's a different way to present that and and this one it it's it doesn't really try to be more than just uh something you might see on like the the history channel or something yeah which I mean, to me, it was a little disappointing because I think the the movie works pretty well otherwise, and that was just something I felt like could have been a little bit better. But like I said, by and large, what it's able to do, it does really well. And like I said, I'm, I'm really impressed with how it's able to talk about so much in a way that, for the most of it, isn't super over overwhelming. Just like just by like the three hour mark, which is you know kind of expected when you're talking about something for three hours, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, there are some other documentaries I saw that I, I wanted to talk about. I know you saw. Um, in the same breath uh, at Sundance. So I yeah. don't want to like talk about it too much, but I did get a chance to check that one out. Good movie. Uh, very strong documentary. Um, I don't know. I, I think you probably talked about that in the episode, so I won't uh, share too much about it, but I just, I, I found that to be a very personal and pretty uh, straightforward documentary in a way that, you know, it's not so much about the disease, but just rather like the government's response to the disease and how it handles something like this. And in, in a way that's, you know, pretty telling and pretty upfront. And, and I definitely think that's going to be, one worth watching what's on HBO. I believe they picked it up from Sundance. So definitely would recommend that one as well. And I also really enjoyed uh, Kid Candidate, which is uh, one I don't think you got a chance to watch. No, I, but I know you had it. a screener for it. Um, it's, uh, you know, not super substantive. It's only like 70 minutes long or something like that. But a pretty fun uh, documentary about a uh, 20 something kid who committed to the bit and uh, became a candidate for his local political I forget if it was like uh, mayor or something. I forget exactly what the position is. I saw it pretty early in the yeah, past. Yeah, it's, it's supposed to be. Uh, people are talking about this because that's kind of a storyline from Parks and Recreation. I know that you never watched that show, but. Well, I was going to say yeah. it reminded me a lot of Mr. America because it has kind of a similar uh, plot. Okay. Even to the point where Tim Heidecker is interviewing him at one point. It was a little surreal. Yeah. Um, Speaking but, of Jason Bateman, by the way. or yeah. Sorry, not Jason Bateman. He's not. He doesn't play that guy. Yeah, What's his name? Adam Scott. I was going to say, yeah, I think you're thinking of Adam Scott. But um, yeah, I mean, not. Not like an amazing documentary or anything, but I think that one's definitely one of the more charming films I saw at the festival. So I wanted to bring that one up as well. There was one movie that I did not finish. I couldn't do it. Um, this movie. Oh, yeah. It it really it's the kind of thing where it, it was genuinely I found I find it to be harmful, like a harmful film to people in the deaf community. And I'm not surprised that some people are watching it and being like, yeah, I dug it. And I'm not, I don't want anybody to feel bad for liking it. I want to be super clear about that. But I do think what this film does, it's called Sound of Violence. What it does in its storytelling around like a person who loses their hearing, but then gains their hearing and it like few, they like, it's like a slasher based around people who lose their hearing. It, it trivializes like what we go through for a bit. And it just made me viscerally angry. I got about halfway through it and I turned it off because I was just like, I don't need this. Um, I don't need a movie to sort of like take a, a thing that for some people isn't even a disability. There are people in the deaf community who do not 
you choose not to view as a disability. And Sound of Metal is a much better film exploring that dynamic, by the way. And I, I don't need people who are to kind of come in and just sort of like make this glory, glorify, I don't want to say glorification, but just like make a spectacle out of this sort of thing. It, it just it it strikes me it strikes me as very odd and like I I got into a few conversations with people about this who were like oh you know I I don't think it's it's trying it, its intentions are in the wrong place and I'm like I don't care like you can you imagine if like a different community this was happening like the same kind of thing was happening to people who are disabled in other respects like if if it was doing some, you know and I think movies have done that sort of thing and I think we can maybe move past that so I, I did not finish the film I did sort of uh, talk to somebody who did finish it and they kind of gave me an inkling of how it ends and everything and I kind of oh, told you that I stand by it I, I I just think that this is a worthless film and if if you are in the deaf community if you are hard of hearing to uh, completely deaf I, I think you should probably look read some reviews if you're curious about it don't just take my word for it of course but I would definitely be very cautious with this movie because i think that it it goes to some places that i think are just pretty harmful yeah i mean i i did end up checking it out um i i think i'm ultimately pretty negative on the film i can definitely i, I think in terms of what you're saying that that's definitely the the worst thing about it um I, I i think the concept of the film there's an interesting idea exploring like how one can like feed their trauma and use pain to like feel their work i think it's an interesting idea, but definitely in the context, like you said, using it through the lens of his disability, which it even doesn't explore like her character and her background that deeply. It, it just has like her disability be like her personality in a way that, like you said, feels pretty offensive and 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 not very good for what it's trying to do. But it is well edited, and I, I, there's some gory violence in here that you know for genre fans will probably like. And I do think Jasmine Savory Brown, I believe, is the actress' name. I think. Her performance is generally pretty good, but otherwise, yeah, I, I think this was a a missed opportunity, and I can definitely understand why it left you so offended. Yeah, I mean, I, I it's like the first seven minutes of this movie. I think I'm surprised I didn't turn it off then because what happens just it, I just felt belittled. I felt like I don't know. I've never felt this way watching a movie before. And so I kind of have a lot of feelings around it. And then I will say, I mean, once Brown enters the movie and then once Lily Simmons kind of gets added to the movie and, and their dynamic, and I was like, okay, maybe that was just like a one th time thing, but then yeah, it just did not improve from there. So I turned it off, but yeah, you know, that's the only movie I saw that I genuinely was like, man, like this and, uh, women as losers. I, I just thought were like very weak films. Um, I did finish women as losers, but I just, I just didn't think that one was very strong. And there was another one called IR, which is trying to do a lot, but I, I just didn't think really quite worked. But other than those films and I guess best summer ever, um, I enjoyed the, I enjoyed most of these films. I, I enjoyed broadcast signal intrusion, as was mentioned. I thought that was a uh, an engaging movie. Definitely pretty. It goes to some dark places. It feels like a kind of Fincher uh, making a movie in the late '90s, but like kind of mimicking a safer PG-13 version of um, Videodrome, that kind of thing. Sort of. It reminded me uh, Eight Millimeter a little bit as well, from what I saw. It's weird because like you wouldn't you wouldn't really be able to tell that it's like the time period is the nineties necessarily. There were times where I was like, is this really the nineties? It could feel like it could be the two thousands. I don't know. So I don't think it's a, a, a flawless visualization of that time period or anything, but I do think it's a, kind of a satisfying paranoia thriller kind of movie. But as we kind of finish things out, is there anything we didn't mention? I know Swan Song was another strong movie. Really dug that great Udo yeah, Kier was, performance. Yeah. Um, that was a very sweet, yeah. bittersweet film. Um, 
uh, I mean, T, like what you were saying before, like the, the only festival or the only film at the festival that left me like genuinely disappointed, like it, it, I felt like it had a really strong idea and it just became a pretty crummy movie was Witch Hunt, which is uh, a film that had an interesting concept, which is basically like, what if like we had a modern day say on witch trial where like witches were illegal and like it, it, it has like an idea that I think it's interesting. It's definitely one that like I would love to see written out a little bit more in depth. I think the way that's presented here is very clumsy and, and half baked. And it just it, it just uses a lot of like historical references that just doesn't quite, I think, understand the gravity of what it's trying to say. And I just found the film to be, in addition to that, pretty dull in its approach. Like it's not not scary or anything like there's not a lot going on in terms of the plotting of the film. It just kind of feels drawn out and uh, the acting itself is even kind of mediocre throughout in a way that I found disappointing. There is one scene in the middle I felt was pretty arresting in terms of uh, using a, a strong visual idea and communicating the themes of the film in a pretty impactful way. It involves a swimming pool. Uh, if you do get a chance to check out the film, I think that's probably where the film is at its strongest. But otherwise, I found this one to be a pretty lukewarm and disappointing film to watch. And uh, it was one that I was just like, I... I just felt bored throughout like even when it was going on i was just like i i debated turning it off because i was just so bored watching it and i was really disappointed because i i had a lot of hopes for that one and it does seem like some people are digging it so um if you do get something out of it i, I hope that's the case but i have to say when i when i saw the thumbnail i was like this does not look like a boring movie but yeah it sounds like it kind of cherry-picked that one scene you're talking about as uh presenting itself pretty much yeah i mean that's like just that's like the standout scene and that's like only like five minutes in it of it so um, definitely. Yeah. Like I, I had very, uh, I had higher expectations for this than I got, which was, uh, you know, definitely one of the, one of the few films that left me genuinely frustrated as opposed to just being like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, but, uh, other than that, um, let's see what else was there. I, I wasn't crazy about clerk. That was another one that kind of left me a little bit disappointed as well, but, um, not that it like offended me or anything like that. I just found it to be, you know, kind of self-servicing and, uh, you know, it, it didn't really explore anything that I felt like Kevin Smith hasn't already talked about. Yeah. So just for people who don't know, that's the documentary about Kevin Smith making clerks, right? Uh, well, it's about his whole career, like going okay. up to like his uh, his heart attack. And I think that was like 2018 or 2019. Um, you know, it, it definitely it's like a, like a career valuation type film, but I don't think it really says much that he hasn't already said in like his podcast or his books or his own movies at this point. So I, I just didn't really find it to be that revealing or that interesting. Like it, it talks about some kind of difficult subject matters like they bring up Weinstein at one point, but it's just kind of like a like a basically like a Twitter or a tweet like kind of like, yeah, you know, like I definitely feel awful about this. and I've given the proceeds back, but like, you know, it doesn't really explore beyond that. And I, I wish the movie was actually willing to engage with some of that stuff a little bit more as opposed to just being like, we had a great time making mole rats. It's a shame people didn't like it. And, uh, you know, Jay and Silent Bob, what a fun time that was. Uh, you know, it just didn't really didn't really do much for me, unfortunately. And I am a fan of Kevin Smith, but that left me uh, that one left me disappointed, I have to admit. But on a different note, I mean, I will say I, I didn't um, I didn't love this movie, but one film that has stuck with me just in terms of being like super weird and odd is uh, effing with nobody. I can't say the full title on the air, but um, I described the film as basically like if Lena Dunham was trying to make a Charlie Kaufman movie by way of Marion Adele. Yeah, I mean, you've already you've already talked about this movie. Have I? Didn't you talk about it a few weeks ago? Or was, was that Abby? Effing with uh effing with nobody yeah I, I thought you had already seen it no i didn't see this this i, I saw a story in the festival what am i thinking of then okay never mind then sorry 
No, I, I saw uh, we talked about Alien on stage a little bit, which I did get a chance no, to see during that, the festival but, as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably just and I saw um, I, I saw Jacob's wife with uh, Barbara Crampton before the festival. I'm talking about another I episode think... of Cinema Hawks. I thought I thought you had brought this movie up before, but and you'd already seen it. But... Uh, no, I, I saw this during the week. So okay. uh, unless I'm a time traveler, no. I, don't know <laughs> I just that. I think I just <laughs> am misremembering for sure. Uh, no, I mean, like I said, I mean, it's a very personal sort of meta film and I, I feel like I don't know where I stand on meta stuff anymore. Like I, I'm, I'm kind of over it, but it also interests me at the same time. So I felt like that was uh, pretty much my summation of the film is that like I, I was kind of weirded out by it, I was a little annoyed by it, but I was also interested and sometimes I found it funny and sometimes I found it, you know, kind of off putting and, and sometimes I found it kind of intriguing just for the weird directions it takes. And, uh, I don't know if I would recommend it or if it was good, but it was something. So I have to say that was definitely one of the ones that it left some sort of impression on me, good or bad. So that was one that I have to bring up. Well, obviously, we're only scratching the surface of what South by Southwest had to offer. There, there are definitely other movies we saw. We, we could go into more detail. But for now, I think that's probably where it's best to leave it because we will probably be talking about some of these films again over the course of the year. There are a few that we didn't get to. I mean, there are, you know, like the WeWork documentary and Between Girl. I mean, you mentioned like Jacob's Wife. I mean, there's a bunch of other things. And I do I do think that we we hopefully gave you kind of an inkling of what this year's South by Southwest felt like. It was a lot of music documentaries. It was a lot of COVID films. It was a lot of stuff that was, I think most of the films I saw were like in B territory, where I think that there's a good chance that you might watch them and, and enjoy them as much as we did. But I, I, yeah, there were no films I saw this year that really just shined as like some of my favorites of the entire year, which is really sad. I think my favorite movies of 2021 so far have been Sundance movies. And I'm a little bummed out about that. I, I think that it's uh, probably not, it's not the fault of the filmmakers, obviously. It's not the fault of South by. I just think that it's a weird time uh, to be making movies. And I am glad that people are still making movies and trying to do new things with movies in a very difficult time to make movies where it's just not as easy as it was before. But that said, we, I will, we will surely revisit a lot of these films more as the year goes on. But for now, we will see you all uh, later this week because we will be doing a full review of Zack Snyder's Justice League. Uh, that'll be a bonus episode hitting the feed. Hopefully Tuesday is the plan. So yeah, keep your keep your uh, eyes peeled for that. I know a lot of you are, are waiting to hear about Justice League and all of that. And uh, we also have an extra milestone coming up. So as usual, we got, we got stuff cooking, uh, but hopefully you found this... Uh, helpful uh, if you're if you're curious about what really stood out at uh, south by this year but all right that'll do it for us from the internet california i am john agroni and for the internet pennsylvania i'm lush see you next time <laughs>